Our first scripture reading today comes from the first letter of Peter, chapter 1. Listen now to God's word to us from Holy Scripture. If you invoke as father the one who judges all people impartially according to their deeds, live in reverent fear during the time of your exile. You know that you were ransomed from the futile ways inherited from your ancestors, not with perishable things like silver or gold, but with the precious blood of Christ, like that of a lamb without defect or blemish. He was destined before the foundation of the world, but was revealed at the end of the ages for your sake. Through him you have come to trust in God, who raised him from the dead and gave him glory so that your faith and hope are set on God. Now that you have purified your souls by your obedience to the truth so that you have genuine mutual love, love one another deeply from the heart. You have been born anew, not of perishable but of imperishable seed through the living and enduring word of God. Our gospel reading comes from the Gospel of Luke, chapter 24. Now, on that same day, two of them were going to a village called Emmaus, about seven miles from Jerusalem, and talking with each other about all these things that had happened While they were talking and discussing, Jesus himself came near and went with them, but their eyes were kept from recognizing him. And he said to them, what are you discussing with each other while you walk along? They stood still, looking sad. Then one of them, whose name was Cleopas, answered him, Are you the only stranger in Jerusalem who does not know the things that have taken place there in these days? He asked them, What things? They replied, The things about Jesus of Nazareth, who was a prophet, mighty in deed and word, before God and all the people, and how our chief priests and leaders handed him over to be condemned to death and crucified him. But we had hoped that he was the one to redeem Israel. Yes, and besides all this, it is now the third day since these things took place. Moreover, some women of our group astounded us. They were at the tomb early this morning, and when they did not find his body there, they came back and told us they had indeed seen a vision of angels who said that he was alive. Some of those who were with us went to the tomb and found it just as the women had said, but they did not see him. Then he said to them, Oh, how foolish you are, and how slow of heart to believe all that the prophets have declared. Was it not necessary that the Messiah should suffer these things and then enter into his glory. Then beginning with Moses and all the prophets, 
he interpreted to them the things about himself in all the scriptures. As they came near the village to which they were going, he walked ahead as if he were going on. But they urged him strongly, saying, Stay with us, because it's almost evening and the day is now nearly over. So he went in to stay with them. When he was at the table with them, he took bread, blessed, and broke it, and gave it to them. Then their eyes were opened, and they recognized him, and he vanished from their sight. They said to each other, were not our hearts burning within us while he was talking to us on the road, while he was opening the scriptures to us? That same hour, they got up and returned to Jerusalem, and they found the eleven and their companions gathered together. They were saying, The Lord has risen indeed, and he has appeared to Simon. Then they told what had happened on the road and how he had been made known to them in the breaking of the bread. This is the word of the Lord. The Emmaus House is a Christian retreat center and a bed and breakfast located in the very busy part of the cosmopolitan city of Edinburgh in Scotland. The location was chosen to provide a respite from busy city life. It did just that during the five days Lon and I spent there in October last year. I don't think our room could have been any more compact but the dining room was spacious and welcoming with a large old wooden table where an abundant breakfast was laid out each morning. Under the guidance of the two Episcopalian priests who hosted the center, we served ourselves and each other in a kind of camp-like disorderliness that made breakfast each day feel like an old-fashioned family meal. While we all ate, we chatted and laughed and shared confidences together with the priests and with other guests. We used the house as our base for exploring the city. In addition, I spent some time in spiritual direction with Andrew, one of the priests. We attended worship each morning directly after breakfast in the makeshift chapel that was really a large wooden garden shed and took up most of the tiny backyard of this old Victorian row house. But the time we spent at meals together was the real fellowship time, a time of communion and community where we got to know each other a little, even though we were only there for a few days. There was one volunteer, Kate, who came there daily to eat with the group. She confided that she was going through a very difficult time in her life. When she learned that Lon and I were going on to Iona, she asked us to light a candle in the abbey there and say a prayer for her. The holiness of this place, Emmaus House, fostered this kind of confidence and relationship. 
While it appeared that the priests Andrew and Jonathan were simply easygoing hosts who enjoyed the company of the guests every day, the care and the attention shown there for visitors at Emmaus House offers the kind of hospitality that Christ showed to all along the way. In our scripture today, taken from Luke's Gospel, two disciples, Cleopas, a name we don't hear anywhere else in the Gospels, and an unnamed companion are leaving Jerusalem for Emmaus. Although we in our church year are now two weeks past Easter, this incident takes place still on Easter Sunday, the day of Christ's resurrection. One has to wonder if these two were present at the crucifixion and whether perhaps they might now be fleeing from Jerusalem in fear of their own lives. At the same time that they are on the road, the eleven and others are gathered together in Jerusalem still, going over the events of the last three days and surely puzzling over these mysterious reports of Jesus' resurrection as told to the women by the angels in the tomb. As they walk along the road, what else would Cleopas and his friend be talking about but these same horrific and mysterious events? They are joined by a stranger who seems at first not to know anything about these things that everyone else is talking about. Like Mary, in John's account of her encounter with the risen Christ, they do not know that this stranger on the road is their Lord and their friend. The text tells us their eyes were kept from recognizing him. This implies, as John Carroll suggests, that either some divine intervention prevented them from knowing Jesus, or possibly that their grief is so intense that they can't even see clearly. Whatever the reason, it's not quite time yet for Jesus to be known to them. They all walk and talk together, the disciples at first explaining the events that have taken place. And then Jesus begins to talk. And he, to use their words, opens up the scriptures to them. He shows how all the prophecies of old led up to the coming of the Messiah and how Jesus is the fulfillment of those prophecies. Even though the scriptures are opened up, suggesting that they now have a new understanding of just how Jesus fits God's divine plan for this world, their eyes are still not yet opened to recognize him. They have, though, been journeying together, walking alongside each other, talking along the way. There's something about walking alongside someone, being their companion on a journey, whether it's a journey to a destination or just a walk simply to enjoy the day. It's easier to talk somehow, to get to know that person a little better, to understand who they are. 
As we journey together, we can form a special bond with our companion. It appears that this happens with the three in this story. Jesus, though, makes as if to leave them and go on his way when they approach Emmaus. Apparently, Cleopas and his friend want more of the unknown man's company, and they prevail upon him to stay with them. They offer him hospitality. They become, in John Carroll's words, the host for Jesus. As they offer him hospitality, they are doing what the writer of the letter to the Hebrews teaches Christians to do. Do not neglect to show hospitality to strangers. For by doing that, some have entertained angels without knowing it. This author is most likely referring to Genesis 18, where Abraham and Sarah were hosts to three unknown men who were messengers from God. And then Jesus told his disciples in Matthew 25 that he was a stranger, and they welcomed him. Both the Old and New Testaments are full of instructions to provide hospitality to strangers. And this is what these two friends on the road to Emmaus do for Jesus. He accepts their invitation, and they share a meal together. And here are those wonderful and oh-so-familiar words from Luke that are used so often during communion. According to Luke, when our risen Lord was at table with his disciples, he took the bread and he blessed it and broke it and gave it to them. Then their eyes were opened and they recognized him. John Carroll points out that it is at this point that Jesus now becomes the host for the two companions as he takes and blesses and breaks the bread and shares it with them. This simple, beautiful ritual, one that is so very dear to our own souls, is the act that opens up their eyes as they recognize that this indeed is Jesus with them, that he is, after all, alive among them, that he caused their hearts to burn within them as he taught them once again the meaning of the scriptures in the way that only Jesus can do. As he opened up the beauty of the ancient teachings that culminate in his presence in this world, God among humankind, Christ beside us on the road, the Savior in the form of a stranger at table during a simple meal. When the two friends recognize Jesus, his work with them is done for now. They had told him on the road that they had hoped that this Jesus was the Savior of Israel. Now, with the certain knowledge of Jesus' resurrection, their hope is restored, and they have purpose once again. 
they will return to the others, share their experiences and work with them to build the new community that will become the Christian church. As the disciples build Christ's church, they will have many discussions about how they should show God's hospitality to others, how to include all peoples in the beloved community, welcoming all as Christ did when he walked among us, and as he so clearly instructed them to do in continuing this ministry of our Lord. Extending Christ's hospitality to all is still the work of the church and will continue to be so until Christ returns and the kingdom of God is fully restored to this earth. I've journeyed with you for a full year now and you have taught me much about hospitality the particular hospitality of this part of North Florida. You have taught me about the love shared among a community of Christians, love that stretches over many years and decades, love that forgives, love that tolerates imperfections, love that endures through all times, good times and difficult times. You have taught me about caring for children. I'm sad that none of our children are here today. I would have liked some of those last hugs from the children. You've taught me about caring for them in an intergenerational family of Christians that offers unconditional love and an abundance of hugs. The children here in this church are secure, innocently confident within the circle of love that surrounds them. And they understand that the love they receive and give is grounded in the never-failing love of God. I thank you for the hospitality that you have shown me and Lon and our extended family who have been here with us too. I thank you for the warm way that you have welcomed this stranger. At the very end of her book, The Reckless Way of Love, Dorothy Day, the founder of the Catholic Worker Movement, writes about loving communities. She says, we cannot love God unless we love each other. And to love, we must know each other. We know him in the breaking of bread. And we know each other in the breaking of bread. And we are not alone anymore. Heaven is a banquet, and life is a banquet too, even with a crust where there is companionship. We have all known the long loneliness, and we have learned that the only solution is love, and that love comes with community. Others will journey with you in the coming months, 
and I am certain that you will teach them too about this particular kind of hospitality. I know that as you call a new minister to this church, you will find new ways to extend Christ's hospitality even further along the road. I feel confident that with God's guidance, you will determine new ways that this congregation will show hospitality not just to each other, but to the very neediest in this county. There are, after all, so many possibilities to meet Christ along the roads of Hamilton County. There is no knowing who might be the angels you'll meet along the way. You may find them in school children who need a friend and a mentor to help them make their way in the world. Or perhaps you will find them in service to migrant worker families who labor so hard with so little reward. The work of the Christian community extends far beyond the walls of the sanctuary. And I know that you will continue the journey of carrying into the world Christ's good news of abundant life for each one. It simply remains for you as individuals and as a congregation to be astounded by the people you break bread with, by those you travel alongside. Christ will be revealed to you. At which table will it be? On which journey will you be traveling when you look into the face of the stranger and see the eyes of the Lord? Amen. Now I invite you to stand as you are able and join together as we affirm our faith by saying the Apostles' Creed. <clears throat> 